بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد صلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ چنائٹ از دا ٹویلتھ آف جنوری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ وی موو Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu and we spent a few sessions taking a glimpse into his deep love for our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the last report I mentioned in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad number 13,315 sayyih to the criteria of Bukhari al-haytami in Majma' al-Zawaid volume 7 page 182 states sayyih Anas he would say radiyallahu مَا مِن لَيْلَةٍ إِلَّا وَعَنَا أَرَى فِيهَا حَبِيبِي ثُمَّ يَبْكِ Never does a night pass except that I see my beloved. He would then weep. So, every night or certainly most nights he would see the Prophet in his dream. So this shows how beloved he was to our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And there's a report which I should have mentioned. In Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, the report mentions that if the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wanted to meet the general people, they would come to visit him in the masjid sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But if it was somebody who was dear to him, he would go and visit them, i.e. in their dwelling. So this was the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Aisha radiyallahu said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would visit Abu Bakr's dwelling twice in a day. So this shows the status of Abu Bakr radiyallahu. So if that is the case where the Prophet himself would go to visit those whom he loved, then what does that say about Sayyidina Anas? That oh, every night for so many decades or most nights he would come to visit Anas, i.e. to comfort him. So moving on to the next section, entitled The Prince of Yemen, Sayyidina Jalil radiyallahu anhu, he served Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu In Behaki, Ibn Asakir, Bahawi, Hafiz Zahabi in his Siyad, Volume 3, Tanzul Umal, Volume 7, Page 136, Hayat al-Sahaba, Volume 2, Page 49 of the New English Translation. Anas radiyallahu he said Jalil radiyallahu he served me greatly as we traveled together on a journey Jalil radiyallahu would say I have seen the Ansar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu do great services to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and I therefore now humbly serve every person from the Ansar I see subhanallah so let's look at this So Anas, he said, Jalil, he would serve me immensely as we travel together on a journey. So he would go out of his way and he would serve Anas on a journey. And then Jalil, when somebody probably questioned him about this, he said that I have seen the Ansar and they had served the Prophet incredibly. So I now humbly serve every person from the Ansar I see. It was for this reason that Sayyidina Anas was very proud to be amongst the Ansar. 
In Sayyih Bukhari, number 3776, Ghailan ibn Jadir, he said, I once asked Sayyidina Anas, were you generally known by the name Ansar? Or did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you that honorable name? He clarified, Reda o Ghailan, it was no other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Almighty and Glorious, who graciously gave us that blessed name. So Anas in Sayyid Bukhari was questioned, was this a, a, like a nickname that was given to you? Either help us, or was it something that Allah Ta'ala gave you this title? Was it something that Allah Ta'ala honored you with? And Anas said, it was Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So, this is all we've got with regards to Jaleel serving Anas. So the only way to appreciate this is if one is acquainted with this noble personality. So if I was to ask you, and you mention one thing about Jaleel, and most will say, he's a Sahaba. <laughs> and the response is that you don't appreciate that hadith. Anas, he said, Jaleel served me greatly as we traveled together on a journey. And he would serve all of the Ansar. So to understand who this person was, we need to do a short biography. I to acquaint ourselves with this company. So first of all, with regards to Jaleel who's physical description, Hafiz ibn Kathir, he said in his Sira, volume 4, page 108 of the English translation, Sayyidina Jaleel was a man of very large stature. He was tall, he was large boned. His feet alone were the length of a forearm. His face was also unusually handsome. Despite all this, he was the most modest of men. Subhanallah. So simply put, he was a giant in the sense of his physical build. His foot was the length of a forearm. I don't even know how much feet that, you know, how many feet is that? About 15 foot, 16 foot, that was his foot. And he had a large stature, large bone. But having said all that, he was very modest. He had no pride. The tribe to which he belonged was the Yemenite Arab tribe of Bajila. Indeed, he was their chief. So, he's not from the Quraysh. He's not from the Ansar. He's, an, he's a Yemeni companion. And he, he's from the tribe of Bajila and he was their chief. When did he embrace Islam? Hafiz ibn Kathir, he said, in Al-Bidayah, in the chapter on the 51st year after the Hijrah, Sayyidina Jaleel ibn Abdullah al-Bajali embraced Islam during the month of Ramadan in the 10th year after the Hijrah. Sayyidina Jaleel ibn Abdullah al-Bajali embraced Islam during the month of Ramadan in the 10th year after the Hijrah. So what's fascinating about that, he had very little time with the Prophet. Thus, Sayyidina Jaleel only had six months with our beloved messenger and was fortunate enough to accompany him in the farewell pilgrimage. So he had less than a year or so with the Prophet but of course he, he, he became a companion and he did the farewell hajj. So some details. In Nasai, Ahmed in his Musnad number 18,698 or 4-359, Sahih, 
Ibn Kathir Sira volume 4, page 105, the English translation, he states, Sayyid to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim. Sayyidina Jarir ibn Abdullah Bajali, radiyallahu himself, he relates. When I approached <coughs> Al-Madina, I made my camel kneel. I untied my leather bag, put on my ceremonial garments, and I went inside. There I found Rasulullah addressing the people. The people who were present thereupon stared hard at me. And I thus asked the person sitting next to me, O oh Abdullah, did Rasulullah make reference to me? Is this why people are staring at me? He replied, Yes. He made a very nice reference to you whilst he was making his address. He said, They will come into you through this door, one of the finest men of Yemen. On his face will be the mark of an angel, i.e. on an expression of authority and beauty. Jarir radiallahu added, Thus I give praise to Allah the Almighty and Glorious for the esteem He expressed for me. Subhanallah. So this was his first contact. So is this an authentic report? Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim. So Jarir radiallahu Look how you get a glimpse into his his uh, his demeanor. He didn't rush to see the Prophet He put on his ceremonial garments, meaning he prepared himself to visit the Prophet And the first time he saw the Prophet, he was doing a, a kind of a sermon. But as he was doing the sermon, everybody turned to him. So what's strange? Why are they looking at him? Nobody knows who he is. So he politely asked the person next to him, because has the Prophet said something about me? Meaning I've not even seen him, but has he mentioned something about me? And he goes, yes. So question, how did he know anything about him? Allah told him. He goes, he made reference to you. He goes, there is a man coming through this door. One of the finest men of Yemen. Now think about that. If somebody was to ask you who's one of the finest men of Yemen, he goes, Jari ibn Abdullah Bajali. Who's he? <laughs> On his face will be the mark of an angel. Now in Arabic, Malaik is very similar to Malik or Malik. So some scholars interpret to mean that he, his beauty was mentioned by the Prophet. Others say it means he, he was a man of authority and beauty. And look what Jadid said, he goes, Alhamdulillah. That Allah Ta'ala inspired his messenger to praise me. So this is the first report. In another. Sayyidina Jarir ibn Abdullah Bajali radiallahu said, I once went to see Rasulullah in his dwelling at a time when there was a large crowd present. As I stood at the door, he looked to the right and to the left he could not find any place for me to sit. He thereupon took off his shawl, he folded it, he gave it to me saying, sit upon this. When I caught the shawl, I held it against myself, kissed and returned it back to him. And I said, Ya Rasulullah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honor you as you have honored me. Stop in the report. So this is 
probably the same incident, but there's more details. So what's the first additional detail? It was the Prophet's dwelling. So obviously not many people could be accommodated. And there was many people there. So because I stood at the entrance and I noticed the Prophet was looking for a space for me. So the Lord, he said, there was no space. So he took his blessed, you know, we call it chadr, and he folded it, made it into a kind of a pillow, and he gave it to Jalil. He goes, please sit upon this and look at his other. He took the shawl, he put it next to himself, he kissed it, and he gave it back. He says, may Allah Ta'ala honor you as you have honored me. Rasulullah then said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when a prominent person of a tribe comes to you, you should honor him. Why? Because nobody gave him any room. So he told the companions, he goes, this is a prominent man. He goes, why didn't you honor him? So where is this record? Tabarani in his Sahid 2-67. Tabarani in his Osat 5-265. Tabarani in his Kabir 2-304. Bazaar. Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 8, page 15 to 16, he comments upon the chain of relators. Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 556 of the New English Translation. Ibn Imajah, number 3712. Hakim in his Mustadrak, 4-324. Behaki in his Iman, 7-461. Behaki in his Dalai al-Nubu'ah, 5-437. Al-Qudai in his Musnad al-Shihab, 1-444. Ibn Abi Shayba in his Al-Musanna, 5-234. Al-Bidayah, in the chapter on the 51st year after the Hijrah, Hassan Lighayr. So this hadith is strong when you look at all the multiple chains. So note, you get a glimpse into his, his character. This is why they said he was one of the finest men, radiyallahu. Adding details. Sayyidina Jarir ibn Abdullah, radiyallahu, he said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa once sent for me. And when I arrived, he said to me, O Jalil, what brings you here? I replied, I have come to embrace Islam at your hands, Ya Rasulullah. Rasulullah then threw his shawl over to me and turned to the companions and said, Give due honor to the noble members of a community when they come to you. Meaning, honor the nobleman. So, stop in the report. So, it clearly mentions Rasulullah sent for me. Now, what does that mean? It meant he invited him to Islam. So he was a prince from Yemen and he invited him. So Jalil came all the way to embrace Islam. He didn't just send a letter back. So he said, I've come to embrace Islam at your hands. And then the Prophet gave him his shawl. He goes, honor the noble ones. The Prophet thereupon said, O Jalil, I call you to La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. That you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the last day, in the predestination of all good and evil, that you perform the farad salah and that you pay the farad zakah. I just complied with all this and I noticed that Rasulullah never failed to smile at me each time I saw him. Let's look at this. So this is recorded in Behaki. Ibn Kathir Sida, volume 4, page 106 of the English translation, he states Gharib. Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 229 of the New English translation. Tabarani, Abu Nu'im, Qanzul Umal, volume 7, page 19, relates him. So he was invited and he came. And the Prophet then told him the basics of Islam. This is important. When a person embraces Islam, you don't overburden him. 
He told him about the shahada. He told him about the articles of Iman. And he told him you must offer the Fadr prayer and to give the zakat because he was wealthy. And then Jareed said something very interesting. He goes, I noticed that he always smiled when he saw me. So is this authentic? Yes. In Sayyid Bukhari, number 6089, Sayyid Muslim, number 2475, Tirmidhi, number 3820 to 1, Ibn Majah, Ahmad in his Musnad, 4-358, Ibn Kathir Sida, volume 4, page 105 of the English translation, Sayyidina Jarir radiallahu said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not screen himself from me after I embraced Islam. He never prevented me from entering upon him. Indeed, whenever he saw me, he would receive me with a smile. <laughs> so this is in Sayyid Bukhari and Muslim. So Jareed said, he showed me tremendous respect. <laughs> he goes, anytime I wanted to see him, he goes, he, would, he made himself available, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he goes, I noticed, he just kept smiling at me. <laughs> he goes, that was his sunnah. <laughs> and this is why <laughs> you hear it again and again, because the Prophet always smiled. And they quote that last bit of the hadith. You ask him, what is that? What shadis is that? And he goes, the Prophet smiled. He goes, who is he smiling to? He goes, that's his sunnah. Because I know that, but you just quoted one line of a hadith. Who, what's the context? How many would you say, oh, he's talking about Jalil ibn Abdullah al-Bajli. Who is he? So not distant from the seerat. Right? The Prophet, because he loved him too much, because he kept smiling at him. Jalil further clarified, Rasulullah asked me to stretch out my hand. I said, what should I pledge to you, Ya Rasulullah? What should be the Pledge of Allegiance? The Prophet wasallam said that you surrender yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you wish wealth for every Muslim. I accepted these conditions. As Subnarator added, since he was an intelligent man, he added, Ya Rasulullah, I shall abide by these conditions as far as I am able to. This concession was then allowed for everyone after him. SubhanAllah. This is in Tabarani, Kanzal Omal, volume 1, page 82, Ayat al volume 1, page 418 of the New English Translation. So the Prophets take a pledge of allegiance to Allah, and Jareel said, What is the pledge of allegiance for? In other words, I'm ready to give. And what did the Prophet say? You surrender. Now, what does that mean? You become Muslim. Muslim means to surrender. And then he says, you wish well for every Muslim. That's a difficult condition. You wish well for every Muslim because I accept it. But I added as far as I am able to, Ya Rasulullah, meaning I may slip. And the Prophet allowed that. And look what the narrator said. Then everybody started putting that condition on. As, long as, as much as I am able to. So look how intelligent he was. He was doing things even though he spent a bit of time with the Prophet that others didn't even know. And he added that, and now you notice many reports where the Sahaba would say that. This pledge is confirmed in the Sayyid. In Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Tirmidhi, Ahmad, Tabari in his Tariq, Targhib, Volume 3, page 236, Kanzal Umal, Volume 1, page 82, Ayat al-Sahaba, Volume 1, page 418 of the New English Translation, Sayyidina Jadir radiyallahu said, I pledged allegiance at the hand of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that I would establish the salat, pay the zakat and wish well for every Muslim. There it is. So the pledge was for the pillars and to wish well for every Muslim, which is difficult. Another report adds, 
رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم انسٹرکٹڈ سیدنا جریر رضی اللہ تو پلیج ہی ووڈ وش ویل فار ایوری بلیو اینڈ ٹو سیپریٹ ہم سیلف فرام دا پالیتھیسٹس دس از اے بے حقی والیوم نائن پیج تھرٹین حیات صحابہ والیوم ون پیج فور ٹو تھری آف دا نیو انگلش ٹرانسلیشن سو دا کنڈیشن آلسو واس یو مسٹ ناٹ لیو ود ان بلیو میننگ اف یو گو بیک ٹو یمن از اے پرابلم ناؤ سو یو مسٹ لیو ان اے کمیونٹی آف مسلمس So the scholars point out that this was a pledge for Jalil. But if the Sahaba needed it, then what about us? People say, oh, no, I'm all right. I'm giving Dawud. Then you find out they're giving you Dawud. <laughs> so this is interesting. There's actually a report in Imam Tahawi in his Mushkil Al-Athar. The Prophet wasallam said, the believers should not be able to see the fires of the unbelievers. <laughs> Meaning, you shouldn't live close to them. So now, this leads on to the fiqhi question. What allows us to live with the non-Muslim? And the key point is, number one, you must be able to practice your iman. So if you can live your deen, that's fine. Secondly, you are supposed to be doing some sort of preparation. I give dawah, invite people to Islam. And they put all these other conditions. And most Muslims fail on that. All they're doing is they're doing their pillars and they're going to work. So there's a problem there. But now because it's the end of time scenario, even the Muslim lands are messed up. Sometimes you go to a Muslim land and you're better off living with non-Muslims. And what do I mean by that? Because they keep a tab on you. You know, if you're at a certain age and you go to Fajr in a certain part of the world, you're on the hit list. Unless you got old, you're a bit older, then he goes, all right, you can pray. And this is a Muslim land. So note, we're living at the end of times. So now, what was the condition? To wish well for every Muslim. Now look at the length he went to, to fulfill this. In Nasai, Abu Dawood, Targhib, volume 3, page 237. Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 434, the New English Translation. Whenever Sayyidina Jadir, radiyallahu anhu, bought or sold something, He would say to the person opposite, the thing I have taken from you is more beloved to me than that which I have given you. So decide whether you want to go ahead with the transaction or not. So now what's strange about that? This is disastrous in business terms. Why was he doing this in business? What was he doing? If he bought something, So it's a business transaction. Look what he said to the person. The thing that I have taken from you is more beloved to me than which I am giving you. So what's he saying? You could have got more money from me. <laughs> he goes, so decide now. Now be honest. Where does that happen in the business transaction? Imagine you're selling a car to a Muslim brother and he goes, right, and you, you fix the deal. Let's say it's 2,000 pounds. And this is what the other brother does. You tell me which Muslim does this. Before we, I, you know, you part or I give 2,000. What I am taking from you is more beloved to me than which I have given you. Straight away, you're going to stop. Hang on a minute, what? So you're going to think, is he ripping me off? But then he goes, how can he be ripping me off? He's actually told me. So what is he doing? He's teaching you how to interact with Muslims. Forget about ripping them off. What, where's that on the radar? 
Sometimes you buy a car, and, but <laughs> it's not a cartoon. As soon as he leaves his house, all wheels fall off. <laughs> he goes, Salt has seen. Salt has seen. Which said, This is that one. Salt has seen. <laughs> you said it was alright. Yeah, it's alright. But when you got in it, it went long. It went long. <laughs> so, note. Now, why was he going to that length? And also think about it. When he was buying, how difficult does that make your, your business? Yeah, so let's say he goes into a market and he wants to buy some, some clothing. He goes, Okay, how much? And the business guy goes, 50 dirhams. And he goes, mm, it's worth more than that, isn't it? Mm. Which, you know, what's happening here? And he goes, how much do you need to give then? He goes, it's worth about 200 dirhams, isn't it? Mm. Okay, then 200 dirhams, there you go. <laughs> Why did he do that? The thing I have taken from you is more beloved to me than that which I have given you. Because Rasulullah, Bukhari and Muslim said, wish well for every Muslim. Mm. It's not an easy condition. Now think about that. If he was doing this and you observed it, you're seeing Islam in action. So imagine a non-Muslim looking at this. What the heck is going on here? Is he a fool? He's a chief of the Bajali tribe. He's a chief. Why is he doing this crazy transaction? He's not crazy. This is our religion. We never deceive each other. We wish well for others. Another example. Now no, that's a hadith. And I knew that report, but which sahaba was it? Boli bali, you know, oh yeah, jadeer, who jadeer? Oh yeah, old sahaba, aren't they? So, another example. There was a, this was during the time of the Khilaf of Rashidin. The market in Al-Madinah, imagine, you had the honor doing business there. This is what would happen. You go into the market, I like some dates, and they'd say this to you. Go to the other brother. His dates are better. So you'd go, and then the transactions made. Then you make investigations. Why did he tell me to come to your store? And he would say, oh, because I haven't had a good day t- today. So they pass business on to their brothers. So let's put it into modern day setting. Taxi drivers. Somebody comes over to you and you've had a good night. Uh, yeah, take me down, I'll give you 50 quid. Just take me down bottom of the road. Get in soon. Would you say, hang on a minute. You just go to that brother there, that guy with the beard. You know, go over to him and you know he'll take you. Imagine he gets into that taxi. Well, why are you coming to my taxi? Because oh, he's told me to jump into yours. Oh, no problem. We're going 50 quid. Then he goes, why do you tell me to come to you? Because I'm not having a good day. And Muslims look after each other. Nah, what the heck is going on in it? Astaghfirullah. The Prophet ﷺ said, if you do a business transaction and you deceive, there's no blessings. And you, you've earned the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some people, <laughs> they patch up, <laughs> they patch up the car, he's roasting. He goes, yeah, it's solid. <laughs> so is about to fall off. Tell them. And I've also heard one of the brothers mention that somebody embraced Islam through this. He actually selling his car and there was a few problems with the car and he told him everything. And the guy goes, why have you told me all this? Because Muslims can't hide any defects. And later that person became, he embraced Islam. He was impressed by that. There's the beauty of our deen. Unfortunately, people need to first become acquainted with it. Is that part of our deen? Of course it is. This doesn't mean you can rip off non-Muslims. Because the hadith says, you know, wish well for Muslims. Right? This means that they have a special place. But of course, non-Muslims as well. You know, why? You know, we're not like certain parts of other communities who are very pious amongst themselves and then show their true colors to others. And just to add this, 
Sayyidina Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali radiyallahu He said, I only accepted Islam after the recitation of Surah Al-Ma'idah. I saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa wipe over his leather socks after I had embraced Islam. This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Ibn Kathir Sida, volume 4, page 107 states, this chain of transmission is fine, except that there is a break between Mujahid and Jarir, radiallahu So this hadith is authentic, but this, and what's interesting, Mujahid is a famous tabi, and yet he didn't hear anything directly from Jarir. So there's the weakness. So is it a weakness? Mild. What does the hadith say? Jarir said, I embraced Islam after Surah Ma'idah was recited. I saw Rasulullah wipe over his socks after I had embraced Islam. So let me ask you a question. Why is he mentioning that? Any ideas? See again, distant from the Quran. Establishing clearly that one may wipe over one's leather socks, though Surah Ma'idah verse 6 mentions you must wash your feet. He's explaining something. So the Quran says, wash your feet. Where is there wipe? So somebody could say, hang on a minute. There's no wiping over anything. You've got to wash. The Quran says, wash. Then you respond by saying, do you know, do you know who Jarir is? Guy goes, oh, is that it again, right? Who, which Jadir? What are you about? Jadir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali. He goes, he embraced Islam after Surah Maida. He goes, okay, why are you telling me that? Because Maida says, wash your feet. If he embraced Islam after Maida and the Prophet was wiping, that means the verse is already there. You can't say that it's been abrogated. So here, this is one of the cardinal proofs the scholars point out that you can wipe over leather socks. In fact, you must wipe over leather socks. So note, this shows his brilliance. Even though he spent a little bit of time with the Prophet, he was saying very interesting things. So this is why they turned to this report. But without knowing who he is, you have no idea what he's getting at. Why did he say that? I embraced Islam after the recitation of Surah Maida. I saw Rasulullah wipe over his socks after I embraced Islam. Because he was telling you that this is part of our teachings. And the only people who deny this are the Rawafid. And what's strange about the Rawafid? They wipe over their feet. <laughs> so they don't wipe over the sock. They could wipe over your feet. So note again, you know, subhanAllah. So why am I mentioning all this about Sayyidina Jarir? Because when I mentioned that report, who was serving Anas? Joe Bloggs. <laughs> See, there's a problem, right? So when I mentioned, obviously not your fault because we're distant from the Shariat. <laughs> Well, you hear, oh, mashallah, you know, this, you know, he's a good person and he served Anas. Good person. Who's the good person? He goes, Jadir. He goes, you know who he is? And when you actually start getting a little glimpse into his life, you're thinking, my God, he's one of, he's a noble companion. Yes. And he goes, he loved to serve the Ansar. He goes, they served the Prophet immensely. Now, let me ask you a question to finish. He only spent a year or thereabouts with the Prophet. And what did he say? So the Lord is I have seen the Ansar do incredible services to Rasulullah. I therefore now humbly serve every person from the Ansar. So think about that. He didn't have much time. But that little time he had in al Madinah, he was blown away by the Ansar. He goes, there's something else. And then he goes, now I must serve them. 
And even though he was a prince, why? Because he had such purity of heart. Normally people of authority, they have a problem with serving. They used to being served. But this shows his greatness. Sayyidina Jadid radiallahu. So all I mentioned today was basically mentioning the blessed hadith where Sayyidina Jadid ibn Abdullah al-Bajadi radiallahu would serve Sayyidina Anas. And Anas mentioned that. And maybe he was highlighting you should know who this companion is. And then I'm now mentioning a little bit about this great companion. I'll mention more tomorrow so that you understand that there's no such thing as a mediocre companion. They were all chosen by Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Are there any questions? Let us. Subhanallah bihamdi ismanika Allahumma bihamdika ashtu la ilaha illa anta astafarika atubu alayka adhibu alayhi minashid anjim subhanahu rabbika labbil izzati amma isifun wa salamu ala al-mun salim wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen bismillahirrahmanirrahim wal asr in insan lafi khusr ladhina amilu wa amilu salihat wa wasmi al-haq wa wasmi al-asr